months ago, on March 19th, a Wednesday night, about 9.30 p.m., I called our son, Will, to find out why he and his brothers, Jake and Sam, were so late getting home from church. Will didn't answer his phone, but his brother, Jake, did. And his voice wasn't right. And he said to me, Mom, you're not going to understand what I'm about to say. But we've been in an accident, and I'm okay. Will's leg is broken, but I think he's going to be okay. But Sammy, oh, Mom... Pray for Sammy. And so that's what I did as Sean and I put our shoes on and woke up our little one, Lila Kate, and got in the car to head to the ER. We'd only been down the road a couple of minutes when I got the call from the hospital, and I answered, we know, we know, we're on our way. And the nurse said to me, how long do you think it'll take you to get here? Because... Your youngest son needs to be airlifted to Arkansas Children's Hospital, and we really want you to see him before he goes. It was at the same time that we were coming up on the scene of the accident, which was only a few miles from our house, and there were emergency responder lights flashing everywhere. Uh, Power lines were down, and they had to direct us around them, and we passed the car, which was wrapped around a telephone pole. And all I could do was say, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, I couldn't pray anything. But then I soon began to pray and remember all of the things that God's done for us, how he's healed our family from many different situations. And I just asked God to be with my boys right then. We got to the ER to discover that uh, both Will and Sam's injuries were extensive and very serious. Um, Sam was unresponsive and not breathing on his own, and Will had a broken femur, a torn liver, a skull fracture. Um, and here we are, a parent's greatest fear, three of our four children in the ER at the same time, different hospital beds behind different curtains. And in that next hour, Sean and I would stand outside the ER and twice watch as our son was loaded onto a helicopter and flew over our heads towards Little Rock twice. So this was about midnight. Um, Jake had not been released from the hospital yet. And Lila Kate was with us. And we had to make the decision to drive on to Little Rock and leave those two in care of our grandparents. That car ride. How do you do that car ride? How did we do that? It was three and a half hours in the middle of the night. We didn't know if both boys would be alive when we got to the other end, and the fear was crippling. I remember writing in silence for a while, and one of us would pray out loud, and it would be quiet again, and one of us would quote scripture. I remember thinking, I have to ask Sean to pull over because I'm going to be sick. And in that moment, he started singing the 23rd Psalm. He has a beautiful voice. And as he sang, I felt a peace enter the car. I felt Emmanuel, God with us in the car. And we were able to make it. Over the next hours and days, there were many moments like that. Moments when I thought, I've got to stop this ride. I can't keep going. And each time I would feel that peace that presence of God come over me and I was able to keep going 
in the ICU with lungs collapsing and surgeries looming and months of therapies ahead of us if we were lucky. I would feel a fear rise up and wash over me. And in that moment, I would hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit say, just do the next thing. And sometimes the next thing was holding Sam's hand. Sometimes it was texting Sean to see how Will was doing in another hospital bed in another room. Sometimes it was saying a prayer for Jake and Lila Kate while they weren't with us. And God was with us in the very darkest night. And he was with us the next morning when the sun came up and we could clearly see how our lives had changed and how long a road to recovery was ahead of us. He was with us for the 29-day hospital stay and the weeks afterwards with Sam in a wheelchair and Will on crutches, therapies and shots every day. But we got the miracle and our boys recovered physically. They are strong and healthy. They are physically whole and doing so well. And we just saw countless answers to prayers, more than I could list for you, and so many graces along the way. We have so much to be thankful for. And we know that God was our comforter and our counselor through his Holy Spirit that never left our side and through his word that we held on to so tightly and that we used to lift each other up. And he was with us through his people this church body, some of you with us in the ER within minutes on March 19th and with us in Little Rock in the days to come, so many of you with us in prayer and students leading prayer at the boys' schools and many of you making meals, wheelchair ramps for our house and providing physical therapy for our boys. I've never felt the presence and the comfort of God any stronger. And this accident was eight months ago, and we've recovered physically, uh, still dealing with the emotions. All six of us experienced trauma that night, and we saw hard things and we did hard things, but God was with us the whole time. He is faithful. I want the boys to come out and the family. What a wonderful testimony. Let's pray for this family. Father God, we stand together today and we acknowledge you as the great healer physician of the body, of the soul, of the spirit. And Lord, not every story that we hear ends this miraculous, but Lord, we thank you for this one. 
And we thank you that you have sustained and that you have rebuilt and that you have brought closer, Lord, than ever before. This family will never, ever take for granted another moment with one another or without one another. And I would pray that every one of us would learn vicariously through the life of the McCullers and that we would all, from Lila Cade and her young life and what trauma she experienced all the way to Sean as the head of the home, that, Lord, we and everyone in between, that you would bring healing to every single one of them and you would be the great counselor that you are each and every moment of their day. And in the dark nights that still lie ahead, I pray, be there with them. Be in them as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Give them another hand. It takes a lot of courage to stand up here. Thank you all. Well, as we said, this is a series of messages about Christmas that points to the fact that Christmas is not a one-day-a-year event. It is a 24-7, 365 days-a-year experience. I pray for you that you do not limit Jesus to a meek and mild, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, that you are understanding that Jesus Christ is very real in our life, still to this moment, in a supernatural way as the McCullers have experienced, as Monty has experienced in his own family and life, seeing his family go from a hating God, hating church, to now loving God, loving church. And Monty will baptize his boy, his oldest son, Parker, here in just a few weeks. And so again, great testimonies of God that are born out of hard, difficult moments in time. Israel went through a difficult, dark season in life in which families were separated, in which careers were devastated, in which lives were, were, were not treated kindly, in which they were displaced under Assyrian domination and control. They were un, under that level of occupation and control whenever God gave them a promise. A promise that would not be fulfilled for 700 years. And for us, it's 2,700 years. But it is this promise that we claim today, we build our life on, and we celebrate in this time and in this season. This promise of this coming child, this child that would be given to us, the son that would be given to us, that would be born. And we want to read about that again each week as just a reminder of this promise given so many years ago. So if you have your Bibles, look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And uh, follow along as I read, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government should be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now as you look at this, again, just in review of last week, we saw how Jesus is wonderful. And what makes him wonderful is the wonder behind him. The fact that there is such awe, such amazement in his teaching and his miracles, even the demons of the world would shake and quake at the name and the presence of Jesus. And yet sometimes we callously look at Jesus, 
Many in this time, in this season, many people will wonder about Jesus. They will wonder about him and they'll wonder into churches and they'll, they'll wonder around nativity scenes and they'll wonder around some prayer at, at, over dinner or getting ready for, for Christmas lunch. They'll wonder about him. They're not zeroed in on him and they're certainly not in wonder of him. And that's what I would pray is that the people in this season would find wonder again in Christ. That you would, whatever wonder you lost, that you would find your way back to the wonderful Savior and how wonderful He is. Now you might say, Mike, my, my, my Bible doesn't have a comma after wonderful. Uh, my Bible has wonderful counselor all lumped together. Well, here's good news for you. The commas if you're not good at punctuation, weren't in the original, all right? You didn't have to worry about, about punctuation. Uh, there, was no, there was no commas and exclamation points or anything in the original Hebrew. For that matter, there was not even original vowels in the, in the original language. It was just simply run on. And, and so man has come back and they have put the, the commas in. And it was actually presented to me as I was studying this text that maybe, just maybe, that this is... Jesus is wonderful, and I think we established that last week. And this week, I want to establish that he is also our counselor. He is the one who is, walks with us and, and abides with us and, 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 and is close to us. And I know that there are, just, there are people who, are, who will take this, this phrase of God being a wonderful counselor and the this Holy Spirit of God being our counselor and that we don't need counselors today. I don't see it that way at all. In fact, I think God has given the gift of counseling to people. I wouldn't be here today. I'd be a messed up man, junk uh, in this world, if it weren't for counselors helping me clear out the minutia of my own life. And so I thank God for good, godly counselors who will speak truth into my life uh, as, as I need it. And, I need, and sometimes they're professional and sometimes they're close friends that speak truth into my life. And, and God... I believe uh, embraces that. And it's a model for us, even in, in, in the deity, that he himself is a counselor and it is okay to have counselors out there. Now, why is it, you might wonder, that this book, Isaiah's book, written 700 years before Christ, and now we're 2,000 years removed from Christ, why is a 2,700-year-old promise even relevant for us today? And it is because it helps us solidify that this Jesus guy, he's more than a good guy. He's more than a good teacher. He's more than a good doctor. He is God. And there's no way you can escape that. In fact, Jesus said at the end of his life that everything he did was to fulfill all the way through his life, was to fill all the prophecies or promises that had been given over the years and the centuries and the decades. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, it says, There are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus himself knew there was lots of promises that were given. And I am living testimony that every single one of those promises is going to be fulfilled. Now, what are these promises? What are these prophecies that were given? There are 54 different prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus, that point to this coming Messiah. This coming one, this, this, as Isaiah said, a child will be born, a son would be given. This Emmanuel that he says in, 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 in chapter 7. Now just think about that for a moment. 
54. And how is it that one guy fulfills all of them? That's a part of the mystery of it all. If you're here in this room today, you know people who are skeptics about Christianity. I get it. This is a safe place. You can come here. You don't even have to be a believer. You can be an atheist and agnostic, and we have them here. All right? And they can come, and they can sit, and they can go through this process of trying to figure out who is God? Is Jesus real? Is it for real? And you just journey along with us. But here's the reality of this. If you look at it from a mathematical equation, what is the likelihood that one person could fulfill 54 of these prophecies? Well, let's, let's scale it back. What's the likelihood of one person fulfilling just eight? Just eight of the prophecies. One in and, and 10 to the 17th power, all right, that one person would fulfill eight of those prophecies, just eight. But now let's think about the 54 of them. It would be one in the, uh, in the 10 to the 157th power, all right? Now, that, I, can't, I had to have a math teacher explain this to me out in the four-year wall ago, all right? That means 157 zeros after one is what that means. The likelihood that Jesus would have, that one person would fulfill all of these. But yet you email me this week and I will send you a document that gives you chapter and verse of every one of those prophecies and every one of them showing chapter and verse how Jesus Christ fulfills it. That's, that's how real it is. And the likelihood of that, what does that mean? All these zeros are just zeros, right? Well, here's what it would be if you would just take it like this. If the odds of Jesus being fulfilling just 16, all right? So we've gone from eight example, we've gone to all 54, but let's just scale it back to what if it was 16, all right? That he fulfilled 16 of them. If you were to take half dollar coins and you were to stack half dollar coins two feet deep, all right, silver dollar coins, uh, not half dollars, silver dollar coins, throughout the state of North Carolina, South Carolina and Virginia and sent somebody out into the state and they were to randomly pick up that one special marked dollar coin. That's the likelihood that Jesus Christ would fulfill all of us. The likelihood. It's not coincidental what I'm saying here. And these qualities, these factors that we're looking at when we look at Jesus, he's a wonderful. He's counselor. He's a, he's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. The likelihood of that being fulfilled in one is so minuscule. It's impossible unless, it, unless we can prove it. And every week we're going to prove and we're going to substantiate that Jesus Christ is the one and only God who could fulfill each and every one of these. Now, as you come back to this, let's talk about counselor today. What, how, how can we see Jesus as our counselor? Listen, this is not just prophecy. I give the example of right here personally uh, of the McCullers. And what did they say again and again and again? When they're passing the scene of the accident, they cry out to Jesus. When they're driving down and, and, and Laurel's about to get sick and have to pull over the side of the road, he starts singing about Christ and God as our shepherd. There's an element, there's a God factor that whenever we go through tragedies and, and, and horrible things and events like such as this, that there's a presence of God that you can't get away from. There's a presence of God. And listen, I realize full well 
that not every story ends up like this. I know full well that not every story ends up like Monty's last week. But there is a God factor that can be there through that. When, 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 when you go into work and you think you're performing so well and you think that you're going to get the next promotion and the boss calls you in to sit down and meet with you and you think this may be the conversation and all of a sudden they tell you there's a reorganization and your position is no longer and neither are you. All of a sudden, your five-year plan just got erased. Or all of a sudden you walk home or you get home and you walk in the house and your spouse greets you in that cold manner that's been going on for so long in the home, but you've just grown accustomed to it. And finally, they've had enough of it. And they tell you that they're wanting a divorce and they're getting a divorce. And here's the papers and here's the settlement. You can deal with it now as they walk out. What do you do in those moments? Who will be with you when nobody else is with you? What do you do when you get a call from the doctor about a health exam that you thought was just routine and it comes back and it's not so routine? Or even worse, you take your child in for a minor cough, a minor minor something, and you find out it's far, far, far worse. What do you do when you're all alone? Who will be there with you in that dark hour? God doesn't want us to be alone. God never intended for us to be alone. The mere fact that He... He put it into time and space and He put Himself into flesh and blood and He put Himself into time and He came down to us, shows us that He wants to be with us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. But He told His disciples that He had to go away and if He was going away, that He would come again. But hey, I'm not going to leave you alone. And He tells them, if you'll be finding in your Bibles the the Gospel of John, we're going to be looking in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. We're going to kind of be over the course of about three chapters. And this is what some people have called His upper room message to His believers. It's right before His betrayal. It's right before the Last Supper. And He's sitting down with His with his disciples, and he's giving them the last discourse, and he's giving them the bad news, if you will. I'm not going to be here much longer. In fact, they still weren't getting it. I'm going to die very soon, and I won't be here. I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to go, but I'm going to leave, and and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And that's how he starts it in, in chapter 14. But he tells them, I'm not going to leave you alone. You're not going to go through life alone. And I know it's hard to understand, but John uses a word that he uses five different times in the Gospel of John. He's the only person in all the New Testament that uses it. He uses it in the Gospel of John five times. He uses it in the, go- excuse me, in the letter of 1 John one time. It's the word parakletos. And this word parakletos means advisor, means, means advocate, means counselor, means helper. You'll see it translated different things in different translations. But as you come to this, we'll find that Jesus Christ is our parakletos. He is the one who is there with us through it all. The Holy Spirit of God will be with us in those moments. In John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, It is for your benefit that I go away. See, Jesus saw this as a step up, if you will. I'm going to go away because if I, if I don't go away, the counselor, the parakletos, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. So 
God the Father sends the Son. God the Son sends the Spirit. And they are working the Trinity in concert with one another. They are in harmony with one another. And listen, you don't need to try to slice and dice them and separate them out because you can't do that. The Trinity, they're equally one, but they, but they are also separate entities. They are, they are one, but they are separate. It, it, it's, it's hard to understand. In fact, I'll say it like this. You try to explain it, you'll lose your, you'll lose your mind. You, you, try to, you deny it, you'll lose your faith. All right? So just embrace it. Just embrace it. I don't understand it, but Jesus was as much part of the, uh, of the creation of time. In John chapter 1, verse 1, we find that out, as the, God the Father was. But we also find that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are working in concert, in complementary roles with one another here. But what are the role, what's the role of this Holy Spirit, this gift from Jesus that he's going to give? He is our counselor. What does a counselor do? A counselor is, number one, your advisor. So my advice to you about your advisor Listen, shut up and listen, all right? Listen to your advisor. Learn from your advisor. Follow the advice of your advisor, and I will give proof to why you need to follow the advice of your advisor in a moment. But I know we're independent people. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to be told. In fact, we will say something like this. If I needed your opinion, I would have what? Yeah, you've said it yourself, all right? That's how we live. We live in our own independent state. If I don't need your opinion, but yet this is one of the things that's promised to us in Isaiah chapter 9. That there will be a counselor and he will come. Now this is a popular word in the Old Testament. It's used 70 different times in the Old Testament. It means purpose and plan. That there's this, this advisory element to God. That he has a purpose and a plan. And he wants to put us on that purpose and plan. The very first time you find it being used, you find it with a father-in-law giving advice to a son-in-law, Jethro, not the guy from the Beverly Hillbillies, but Jethro uh, and, uh, and Moses. And he gives advice to him and he tells him, hey, Moses, you're about to die and kill yourself because you're working so hard. You need to learn to delegate. You need to have judges and you need to have all these people in place. You need to develop this system, uh, command system, and you need to kind of get it all, all lined out. And if you'll listen to my counsel... That's where he uses the word. God will be with you. You look with me here at this verse here uh, in um, Exodus chapter 18, verse 19. He says, listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Hang on to that phrase with you. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But I want us to hear this. Counsel is good. Having good advice Having people in our life, having the Spirit of God in us, when life is not computing, when it's not making sense, when it's a fog, the best place, the best person you could listen to is the very small, intimate voice of God. In John chapter 14, turn over there. We're going to be, uh, if you are not there already, 14 verse 20, uh, verse 26, it says it like this. He says, but the helper, the parakletos, that's where we get the word uh, uh, counselor from, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? Teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. There are some times we need to be taught, and have you ever Notice that your kids sometimes forget and you need to remind them. There are sometimes we need to be reminded, all right? 
So that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do in the life of a believer. Remember, it's all that has been said to you. All right, so here we have this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and Jesus is going to send His Spirit, this advisor, into our life. And what's He going to do? He's going to teach us. He's going to remind us. He's going to show us. He's going to advise us. He's going to give us the counsel we need when everybody else seems uh, confused, when everybody else is looking at horoscopes, when everybody else has got all kinds of opinions, and nothing solid is out there. In John chapter 15, verse 28, this is the, this is the character of our counsel. When the helper, the parakletos, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, here's his second name, the Spirit of Truth. We're going to find that again here in a few moments, the Spirit of Truth. Here's one thing, here, just here, 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 listen to this. Here's one thing about listening to the Spirit of Truth, about listening to the Holy Spirit, is you're going to get truth. You're not going to get opinion. You're going to get options. You're going to get truth. A lot of people struggle with listening to the Spirit because sometimes the Spirit will tell them no when they want Him to say yes or yes when they want Him to say no or they've never fine-tuned their listening skills. But He wants to speak to us. One of the, I would say, one of the top ten things I get asked again and again and again when people are making career changes, relationship changes, or things like that, they, they want to know, well, how can I know God's will? How can I know if this is the one? How can I know if this is the job? How can I know if this is the right move? How can I know? How can I know? And they come to me, and I'm okay with that. They come to me wanting to know the answer. And I just say, I know as much as you know, if not less. What you need to do is you need to listen to the Spirit of God. But how do I do that? And so whenever I was in about... A freshman in college, I began to want to know the voice of God. And I read a little book called How to Listen to God by Charles Stanley. That then led me to another book a few years later called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And they both said the same thing, that God speaks to us through about four different channels. I want to give them to you in what I see as the reverse order, okay, building up to the top order, uh, uh, the top way that God speaks to us. Number one, he speaks to us through our circumstances. Sometimes... You can just look at your circumstances and say, okay, this is not for me, all right? You want to be a brain surgeon, but you can't pass biology? Probably circumstantially, you don't need to be a brain surgeon, all right? You love that person. You know God wants you to marry that person, but that person's off married somebody else. Probably not God's will for you to marry that person, all right? You missed it. That boat's left the the dock, all right? Circumstances. Number two is godly people speaking into your life. Now, a key emphasis on that is godly people. If you don't have godly people speaking into your life, and here's how you'll know if you have godly people. One is if they're able or, or will, willing to tell you no when you want to hear yes. See, what we like are we like friends who agree with us. Friends who, who will affirm our lifestyle. Friends who will say, oh, you just need to be happy. And that's their mantra. If you're happy, then, then God's happy and all, all, all the universe is happy, so just be happy. Never mind the consequences. Never mind the short-term, uh, the, the long-term loss. And are they using Scripture to back it up? If you have a real friend who's a godly example and a godly person in your life, they will say, you know what, I don't have an answer to that. But I'm going to take some time and I'm going to spend time praying specifically for that in the Word and I'm going to wait for God to give me a word before I give you my word. Make sense? Because they don't want their word to trump God's word and so they're going to submit their word to 
God's word. Godly friends like that are irreplaceable, all right? Hopefully you'll find them in a community talk group. Hopefully you'll find them in the church. Hopefully you'll find them and latch on to them. Number two, not codependent latch on, but latch on, okay? Number two, Holy Spirit speaking into your life. This is a mystical element here. This is where assuming the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, assuming the fact that you've been born again, that the Spirit of God is in you speaking to your spirit. Now, I'll tell you what, it's not gut instinct, okay? That's just bad pizza, all right? And and, and it's not conscience because your conscience is as smart as you are, okay? So it's it's deeper than that. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual relationship between you and God, all right? And if you think, Mike, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, You need to listen to the very last part of this message because it's going to really pertain to you. Because a spiritual relationship is when God's spirit is living inside of your spirit. We'll talk about that here in a few moments. Number number one way that God speaks to us is through his word. Through this book that I hold on this stage right here. It is the, uh, let me say this, it's the objective truth of God. God will never contradict himself. All right? It's against his character. Remember, who's this Holy Spirit? This Holy Spirit living inside of every believer is a gift from Jesus. And this is the spirit of truth. All right? He doesn't contradict himself. He doesn't go against his own words. He doesn't lie to himself. He doesn't change like that. And that's where the word of God is so powerful. Now, if you were here last week, and I know it was a holiday weekend, but we took a survey. We kind of asked our people, okay, how many of y'all Read the Bible, and how many days a week? Seven, five, three, uh, one, and none, okay? And we gave you a freebie. It's like bingo, okay? You got the free middle one, okay? If you come on Sunday, you read the Bible today, okay? And that's how free it was. Of those who answered the survey, not everyone answered the survey, but of those who answered the survey, 48% of the people who attend Grace Point Church do not read the Bible beyond Sundays, that's a little bit of an indictment. We would be a believer, a community of believers, and we're not really into his word. Now, I want you to do this. You get to play with your phone, okay? All right, teenagers, some of you have been waiting for this moment. Get your phone out, and I want you to text this number, okay? I want to know why. All right. Some of you, I'm not going to get involved. Listen, you're shaping the next series of messages. I promise you. I'm using this because I'm starting a new series of messages in January that this content is a part of that. Okay. And so please help contribute and help shape the series of messages. So text two two. Where did it go? Oh yeah, two two three three three. And then text your answer. Why is it that you don't read? the scriptures more often. Is it just simply, I have so many other interests in my life. I don't have time. And I get that. I mean, we got busy schedules. We got appointments to keep. We got dings and beeps and buzzes that are constantly going off on our phones, surprisingly, uh, that, that clearly you can see that that is the majority right now. But listen to these others before you answer, if you're not certain. I don't think it's relevant to my life. I, I just really don't see that, that, that this book is, a, it's, I mean, it's a 2,000, 3,000-year-old book, and really it doesn't have that much to say to my life. So think about it. I mean, if that's you, then put that one. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to see your phone number, so I'm not going to stalk you or anything like that. All right, the, the Bible is confusing. I just don't get it, Mike. 
It doesn't make sense. It's like reading a Hebrew phone book when I read it. You know, I don't understand the names, the places, or, or anything like that. Or I consider, I don't really consider it a necessity. It just really hasn't been a high priority. Uh, I didn't even think it was a, an option. I, some of you all grew up in churches and denominations or, where, where literally the priest or the person on the stage read the scriptures and you never read. And that may be just you, okay? So you just grew up in that kind of culture. So answer that. And again, we're shaping the series of messages uh, around this. But let me tell you, in the new year, we're going to have a, a, a thing, an extra, a bonus, if you will. On Sunday mornings, we're going to have this series called In. But on Sunday afternoons and evenings, we're going to have a, an intentional Bible study methods class. I'm going to be teaching it. And I'm going to be teaching it basically how do you study this book and make sense of it in your everyday life. And we're going to have some great professors that are going to come in and help teach it. And uh, I think it'll be a great benefit. You can sign up for that online. That's all on the commercial that I'm going to give today. All right. So let's go back to the spirit thing in us, the spirit person in us. What does he say? What's he going to teach us? What's he going to tell us? You go to John chapter 8, 16, verse 8. It says it like this. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Again, we're just looking at this entire final message that Jesus is giving his believers in the upper room. He says, listen, when the Spirit comes, he's going to convict you of what sin and what righteousness and judgment is. What does that mean? Sin. He's going to help us to know what's wrong. The Spirit of God will be your advisor. And if he says, no, 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 don't do that, he's just saying, don't hurt yourself. And if he says, hey, feel free to do this, he's just saying, go bless yourself. He's wanting you to walk in freedom. What's wrong? He'll also help us to know what's right. He'll also help us to know what's next. Ultimately, he's going to, the Spirit of God is going to prepare us for eternity if we listen to him. But if we don't have time for him, if we're not interested in him, if we're not going to hear his voice. See, the problem is, is that we do have so many other stinking voices out there, so many other desires. This is where last message series and this message series fits together. Don't miss this. I want you to read this verse out loud with me. Psalm 106, verse 13 and 14. Read it out loud. They wouldn't wait for his counsel. In the wilderness, their desires ran wild, testing God's patience in the dry wasteland. Did you hear that? My desires are running wild in me. I want, I want, I want, I can't have, I want. Yeah, the desires of my heart, the loss, the pride, the, 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 all that that we talked about in the last series sometimes becomes the greater voice of our life. And we don't listen to the counsel of God. Still small voice. Listen, God doesn't shout. Sometimes it may feel like he shouts, but he doesn't shout. If you will get still, if you will listen, you will hear his voice as a follower of Jesus Christ. I like what the Benedictine sister said. Only when I sensed the power of my thoughts and was able to renounce them, could I hear the ever so small voice of God deep inside. Until we learn to renounce those desires and listen to that still small voice, there will always be a competition. There will always be, a, and we will not, and we will miss it. Listen, he's your advisor. He wants to speak truth into your life. Number two, he is a companion, and he—you he, will never be alone. 
the beauty of the presence of the Spirit of God inside of every believer because Jesus sending him to us is that we have this reality. Verse 16 uh, of, of chapter 14, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. There Again, we're just seeing this word parakletos coming up again and again and again. We hear it here. We see it here. And to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. There it is again whom the world cannot receive. You're not going to find it in the world. Oprah's not going to offer it to you. You know, the pills aren't going to offer it to you. I, I can't even give it to you. I, I, I don't have it to give. It comes through Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. Remember, he's the one who sends the Spirit because it is neither sees or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. Circle that preposition and will be in you. In circle that second preposition. There are two elements to the Spirit of God's companionship with us and in us. This verse right here in this message prep week was the verse that has been on me all week long. And it wasn't until this morning that finally it clicked. I, I get it. I finally get I mean, this is the beauty of when you're in the Word and you're reading the Word and you're studying the Word. You, God begins to speak in even the simplest prepositions. You begin to hear and see and experience at, at, at a deeper level. And I begin to understand, what is this with and in? And how can you be both with and in? Can you, you can't be both with and in. But then I began to think, the Holy Spirit with us speaks of the proximity of the Holy Spirit. When Moses was told by Jethro, if you'll do this, what did he say? God will be with you. Whenever the people of Israel were coming out of Egyptian bondage and they were going to the promised land, there was a pillar of, of cloud by day and a fire by night, and God was with them. When the people of God were in exile and in Ezekiel, Chapter 34, verse 30, it says, They shall know that I am the Lord your God with them. With them. Proximity. Listen, I love being with God. I love it when God is with me. I wouldn't trade that for the world. I have been on global adventures and I have seen God with us. I've seen Him carry us through potential tragedies. I've seen God carry us out of dangerous situations. Listen, even in our day-to-day life today, in this room today, I think we can all say, maybe maybe you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't, uh, but I think whenever the McCullers were up here sharing their life with us, that there was a sense that God was with them. You get the proximity there. You come in here on a Sunday morning, you, 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 you're sitting on the back road, you're sitting there all alone and you think nobody knows who I am and that's, that's okay, I want an anonymity. All of a sudden God reaches into your seat and he picks on you that day. It's God with you. That's a beautiful thing when God gets in our face and gets in our lives and, and he walks along beside us. When the Holy Spirit is in proximity to me, He inspires me. Okay, there's an inspiration that happens whenever he's with me. But there's another phrase that he said there. He said, the Holy Spirit is in us. It's not just with us, he's in us. That speaks to intimacy. The intimacy of God. Whenever the intimacy of God is with me, 
Whenever I know that he is not just beside me, in front of me, around me, he's working in this person's life and I get to see it. And I I love it when I see marriages come back together and I I love it when I get to see lives healed and I I love it when I can see what happened to the McCullers. I, I love it when I get to see it. That's when God's with me. But I really, I feel empowered when he is in me. And whenever I live with him fully alive in me, fully being expressed in me, then there is life-changing elements that happens. I'm able to love like I've never been able to love, forgive like who, who, I, who I wouldn't normally forgive, embrace who I wouldn't normally embrace because he's with me. There's an empowerment. There's a presence of him being with me and being in me. We, we've been helping out in, in, in South Asia for the past couple of years and and, you know, some of y'all know the work we've been kind of help fund and help support and going along beside and walking with women who have been caught up in the trafficking world of sexuality and, and doing what we can do to provide the funds, the resources, so the missionaries on the field, the nationals on the field could help reach into this darkness and help bring people out. It's been two years so actually, it's been a beautiful journey as we've worked in, uh, in that. It's been difficult at times because it's not a clean, neat thing. And we've helped in the past two Christmas offerings, but we're not going to do that this year. We're going to go in another direction because they still have some of the resources that we gave them. We've given them up to $60,000 over the Christmases. So it's, I'm, I'm pretty proud of Grace Point in that, and they're very thankful for it. We've been able to fund their ministry. And if they, we told them when your, minute, when your dollars shrink down, you let us know, and we will be back, uh, back in there. But we're going to kind of go a different direction. We'll have more on that later. But I want you to hear one of the stories of one of the ladies and what's happening in her life, again, because of the Spirit of God, not just being with, but in. Watch this. Right now, a woman that you guys have been caring for through providing her medical needs, her travel expenses, the things that she needs, just daily life. Her name is Lakshmi. And you guys have been caring for her. That Right now, she is going to Nepal to share with her family. Her family sold her as a young girl as a, for a bride price. And so as they sold her, they sent her away. This was 10, 15 years ago. Now she is going back, having being equipped with the gospel, being fully redeemed and free. She is going back to share with her family. The family who sold her, she's going back to share the gospel with them. So we're praying. We're praying and asking that the Lord would break their hearts, that he would soften their hearts, that they would be open to the gospel message that she will come, come with. So be praying for Lakshmi. I want to tell you that she is just one of the many women that your support has affected. So we pray that this season, as you give to your global missions offering, that you will think of women like Lakshmi, the high-risk girls, the girls in the red light district that many of your women have gone and ministered to. We pray that you will think of them and that your hearts would be um, moved to pray for them and moved to support the work um, that is going on in North India. So we want to thank you. Thank you so much, Grace Point. Most of us will not ever see Latchme this side of heaven. But just imagine for a moment what that day will be like when you meet a lady in heaven, if you're a follower of Christ, and her name is Latchme. And a part of what was given on a Christmas Eve offering helped Latchme become a believer, helped Latchme get out of that, that horrible, awful lifestyle. But you know what happened? As well, because of the Spirit of God inside of Lachmi, 
She is going back right now to the family that sold her into trafficking and to share the gospel. How does that happen? Outside of the Spirit of God, not only being with, but being in someone. There's no way that I could even think of forgiving someone, making space in my life for somebody who's hurt me, such as that, outside of embracing the reality that the Spirit of God didn't just come to live beside us, but He came to live inside of us. Some of us in this room, many of us in this room, have listened, listen, listen, have settled for the proximity of the Spirit and given up the intimacy of the Spirit. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or do you come in this room week after week and get in proximity to the Spirit, get close to the Spirit, experience the dabblings of the Spirit, the workings of God and Christ all around like the McCullers, but then you walk out of here empty as when you walked in. Let me read one more verse. One more time that the word parakletos was used. It's in 1 John chapter 2. It's the sixth time that, that John uses it. This time he doesn't use it of the Holy Spirit. He uses it of Jesus Christ. And he says this, if anyone does sin, he, we have an advocate, a counselor, a helper, an advisor, a parakletos with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the beauty of being in Christ and embracing Him as wonderful, yes, as counselor, is that He becomes our advocate to the Father. We don't walk alone. We don't go it alone. We don't experience life alone. We don't go through the hell that the McCullers go through alone. Yes, it doesn't always end beautiful like we want. But we never, never do it alone. Would you pray with me? you're here in this room today and you don't know what it means to have the Spirit of God inside of you, it matters in that you call out to Jesus Christ right now. Jesus Christ sends the Spirit. Call out to Christ and say, Jesus, I want you. I need you. I want you to take away the stain, the sin, the filth, the grossness of my own life that has separated me from you. And I want to follow you, Jesus. I want your spirit in me. I want to walk with you. I want you with me. I want you in me. I don't want to ever walk alone ever again. Father God, you hear and you know the voices of these in this room who are crying out right now that prayer. Lord, would you give them the boldness to tell someone today? Would you give them the boldness to tell me today? Would you give them the boldness to say, I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to walk alone. I want the Spirit of God in me, and I want Him with me, with me, in me, empowering, inspiring, proximity, and intimacy from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.